0: The sound, the voice doesn't come through. I'm sorry, uh, maybe we will try again, okay? Not yet. Not yet. I'm sorry, that may be because my software could not do that, so... I, I will try it again, I'm sorry. Okay, okay, I got it. I got it. I got it. I think I got it. Okay, let's start from the very beginning. Hello, I'm Debbie Fordyce, current president of Transient Workers Count 2. TWC2 is a nonprofit, non denominational organization registered in 2004 with a twofold mission to assist migrant workers in difficulty and to advocate for better policies. I'll discuss briefly what we do and what we stand for. Uh, We usually receive just about a $1 million in, uh, in donations each year. But in the first six months of 2020, we received almost three times that much in donations due to the huge publicity that was given to migrant workers and the massive infection rate in the large dormitories. We used about half those donations to top up phones for men who were stuck in dorms, unable to contact their families, and also for rental money for homeless workers. We have a small staff of only about five, so we depend largely on volunteers. We remain at heart an advocacy organization, which often puts us at odds with the Singapore government. We recently conducted research on the system that's used for employers to bring workers into Singapore. We found that employers are able to misuse that procedure to entice workers with high salaries and then later lower that salary amount. Other research projects covered salary slips and access to bank accounts. A long term research project was completed last year, covering recruitment costs. We also assist with pro bono legal services, for instance, where we believe workers are falsely accused, or to assist with validating claims and obtaining compensation. The largest item of expenditure in previous years was our free meal project. This serves Bangladeshi and Indian workers who are not permitted to work as they await the resolution of their injury or their salary complaint. They are the lowest paid workers among Singapore's foreign workforce and therefore the most vulnerable. The number of workers seeking meals has dropped recently as a result of the Ministry of Manpower stepping up its enforcement and requiring workers to return home or to remain in dormitories except for work or essential activities. We also offer financial help with transport, medical care, and other legal expenses. Recently we released a shadow report on where Singapore stands in relation to the UN's Global Compact on Migration Standards. These are among the issues that are covered in that report. I'll look I'll talk mainly about the recruitment costs. These fees should cover just the legitimate and necessary services for the migration process. But due to a lack of the lack of a good job matching platform within Singapore, and the desire and the ability to exploit desperate workers looking for jobs, the fees have increased over the years. And this has created a system of middlemen, brokers, money lenders who entice men with promises of good jobs, high salaries, and then deliver far less. Similar systems occur in Singapore with supervisors and employers taking kickbacks from their workers and extracting illegal deductions from salary. TWC2 regularly hears of employers taking money from workers in return for obtaining jobs or retaining their job. Fines and jail sentences for the employer may result, but errant employers often know enough to avoid detection and are rarely caught and prosecuted. Before COVID, The most common issues brought up to us by workers were injury claims, salary non-payment, recruitment fees, and scams. Since COVID, most of our contact with workers is online. And a common concern these days is how to switch jobs, finding a company that provides work, preferably with a higher salary. And now that most workers are back at work, the issues that predated COVID are still common although coming to us online rather than in person. Many Singaporeans have little understanding about the poor working and living conditions of migrant workers. But the COVID crisis has brought to light the real disconnect between the resident community and workers. The conditions of low-wage migrants was overlooked as Singapore concentrated on preventing fatalities from the COVID virus and reducing COVID transmission among the community, even though transmission was allowed to run rampant within the dormitories. The dorm COVID cases account for 95% of all cases in Singapore. As of mid-December 2020, at least 47% of workers in dormitories have tested positive for COVID. The systemic issues of work permit holders were temporarily put aside due to the immediate and more visible problems of food, essential needs, medical treatment, emotional distress, and confinement within the dormitories. Most Singaporeans have good reason to expect a life of well-paid work, subsidized education, healthcare, and housing. Precarious work may be hard to conceptualize, as is paying thousands of dollars to buy that job. It might be easy to assume that workers are too ignorant to work out the numbers or so gullible that they're easily swindled, or to assume that if only they were aware of their rights, they would be able to avoid the pitfalls. Other common opinions are that they should be grateful because even though the salaries and conditions are below what Singaporeans would tolerate, it's still better what they than what they would expect in their own country, or that they're getting rich from it. It is true that some workers do succeed and get rich from the work they do, but it comes at great sacrifice. For instance, staying here for 10 to 20 years, not being able to see their parents when they grow old and die, perhaps not being able to be with their children as they grow up. These misconceptions and attitudes overlook the nature of corruption and irregularities involved both in the sending country and to some extent in Singapore, since construction and marine companies regularly extract money upfront from workers before they start and often for the renewal of their work permits. Work permit holders constitute almost 20% of all all foreigners in Singapore. These are are, uh, men, men and women, men who hold work permits, which is the work pass for low wage workers with no minimum salary. The work permit is of one or two years validity. It may be renewed, but it can also be canceled at any time by the employer without penalty while the worker's ability to secure a new job in Singapore is severely restricted. The work permit system allows for a use and discard approach to cushion the economy during times when jobs are few and to allow employers to rehire when the economy rebounds. Letting new workers into Singapore is problematic now, which is why there's been some limited flexibility to change jobs. Singapore has both the right and the need to control immigration. It's a small country, the population has become better educated and it's a rapidly aging population. Singapore has long been in need of low wage workers with Singaporeans unwilling to take up this work and so has regularized this system of workers who are admitted on a temporary basis with extremely limited rights. They're prevented from gaining residency, from bringing in their families, and they have almost no possibility even of using marriage as a means to gain residence. Even though many work permit holders spend all their working years in Singapore, some up to 20 years, they're still denied subsidized medical treatment and housing. They're bound to a single employer sponsor It's laws like these that create create the impression that work permit holders are unsuitable or undesirable for social inclusion and residency. Many people are content with the thought that they're here only to work and all other human desires and attributes are expected to be put on hold while they're working here. Previously, when workers would gather in large groups to socialize, there was a common perception that The men might constitute a danger to this well-run society or incite unrest. There was also the the notion that domestic workers, when gathering in public places, would be likely to hook up with boyfriends, mix with bad company, or get pregnant. TWC2 conducted a survey in 2016 and found that in the past 10 years there had been a decrease of about 20% after adjusting for inflation in the average basic salaries for first-time workers from Bangladesh and India. That means that the financial stress during during that time had increased as Singapore became a more popular destination for migrant workers. Again, it's hard to comprehend why someone would accept a daily salary of $19 a day if he's paid 10000 or more to get this job in Singapore. In order to come up with the fees they pay to get the job, they would have to sell land, sell jewelry, borrow from family, banks or money lenders. It's quite likely that the worker was promised more, uh, a higher salary before arriving and then forced to sign to agree to, le- uh, to less once he arrives. Being in debt for such a long period reduces the worker's bargaining power with his employer and subjects him to coercive and abusive conditions in order to keep his job. With basic monthly salaries of about $500 to $600, it could take more than a year to repay that debt, which means that the worker would then have to decide between meeting the family's needs and the bank's hellish interest rates and attempts to repossess the land in the house if the debt isn't paid on time. Employers often use the ease of deportation and repatriation of uncooperative and troublesome workers. And that threat of deportation is quite successful in preventing complaints and claims against the employer. Injuries are probably the most common complaint we hear. Workplace accidents and injuries can be disastrous for workers, not only because of the pain, incapacity, and concern about receiving treatment, but also because of the inability to main the family and service the debt. Employers may fight against these claims by denying the validity of 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 the workplace accident coercing witnesses to remain silent rather than support the injured worker and insisting that the worker stay quiet when talking to the doctor about how the accident occurred letting the supervisor or the employer to explain the doctor's initial notes are often used in establishing the validity of the claim and it could ruin the worker's chances of compensation if the doctor recorded that the accident did not happen in the course of work as foreign nationals, low-wage migrants are not entitled to affordable health care that's available to Singaporeans and permanent residents, which means that health care costs can be prohibitive to the worker and unexpectedly costly to the employer. The law requires that employers of work permit holders provide a minimum insurance coverage of 15,000 a year for non-work-related medical treatment and 36,000 a year for work-related injuries. But TWC2 has often observed attempted repatriation as a cheaper alternative. Unless medical treatment is immediately and medically necessary, treatment may be withheld and the worker may be repatriated. A significant number of workers choose not to seek care for for smaller health problems due to the likelihood of losing their job. Some self-medicate and use cheaper medication from their home country for chronic conditions. But due to the lack of flights recently, obtaining medicines from home has been difficult, leaving those chronic conditions like diabetes or hypertension poorly managed. workers were restricted to their dorms or moved around to other facilities during the initial lockdown and the the months following that. Although most are back at work, they must be conveyed directly to and from the work site in transport provided by the employer. Other than work, they're permitted out of the dorms only for emergencies, scheduled medical appointments, and for limited visits to a designated recreation center. Many workers were so secluded during during those first six months that they were unaware that the the uh, the rest of Singapore was moving around freely and at will on public transport and in public places during that time. In the months following the COVID outbreak, Singapore witnessed a groundswell of support for migrant workers, cash donations to aid groups and volunteer numbers surged, and ground and ground-up efforts delivered food and a variety of other goods and services like phone top-ups and haircuts, and um, and others and other needs to workers in quarantine. This showed quite a good level of awareness and concern, but. That concern is easily lost, as now we're being told that workers are back to work, housed in newer, nicer, and roomier dorms. It's often not acknowledged that they're no longer able to move freely out of their dorms, even on their days off. Real social change starts with knowledge and understanding. Migrant workers are not simply victims of a handful of errant employers. Problems that I've described are endemic in the migrant worker worker system in Singapore. And we are all, to some extent, morally complicit in the workers' precarious conditions, since we enjoy the fruits of their labor and they wind up worse off and deeper in debt. We're looking to incentivize companies to change the methods of recruiting workers and work towards more ethical recruiting practices. If some companies can lead the way on this, that might have an effect on the rest. Those families with domestic workers could also start by paying the recruitment fees for their domestic workers. That would would result in greater scrutiny in seeking out the actual costs. I'll end with uh, with this slide and just say, we all need to question more to adopt a different mindset, to ensure that standards are enacted and that some employers and companies will lead the way for others. We derive pleasure in a comfortable lifestyle from migrant labor. So we need to be mindful, not only of their sacrifice, but ensure that they are treated as would be expected of an economically successful country like Singapore. As individuals, we should be aware, stay informed, and be kinder than necessary. I encourage encourage everyone to speak out and be willing to take action, even even if it requires a cost or a sacrifice. Thank you very much.